Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the PGA DraftCast brought to you by WindDailySports.com. Just a quick reminder that Windaily Sports doesn't just cover golf. They cover the NFL, the NHL, MLB, NBA, soccer, MMA, NASCAR, you name the sport. Windaily Sports has projection models, optimizers, articles, and our famous Discord chat to cover it all. Now, if you click the promo link below and you type in Win Big or Green, you will get one week free of Windaily. And then after that, it is just $5.99 per week for all of that, including some of our betting content. Now, let's get to the PGA DraftCast, where we have proven track records with Joel, Spencer, David, and myself. Let's have some fun. Get in the chat. Make sure you subscribe to the page, and make sure you hit the like button. Let's do this snake draft. Let's do the PGA DraftCast. Let's do it right now. PGA Nation, we are back, and we are back. With the Waste Management Phoenix Open, it's going to be a party this week. They, you know what they did this week? They were trying to prepare earlier. They didn't want to compete with the playoffs. The Super Bowl might be moved because they don't want to compete with the Waste Management because the Waste Management is the event to be at this week. The field is full. Rory's playing. Reed is playing. It feels like a major. I am pumped. See, so yeah, how you doing tonight? Okay, a couple things to clear up. We have back nine bets in there, otherwise known as Model Maniac, otherwise known as Byron. And so many of you are in here. Razor the Guru. That name is uh, somewhat unfamiliar to me, so hopefully you're new. I see Brian England in here. Patrick Scott from the Windaily team is in here. Zach Jeffers. However, I do need to clear something up. This is not the same blue shirt as the intro. It's clearly a brighter shade. I have like three or four shades of blue. I hate to break it to everybody, but I'm that guy that in my closet, I have like four or five shades of blue, a few of gray, some green, you name it. So yeah, I'm, I'm totally that guy. I have one piece of my wardrobe. Joel, I'm doing well. Last week, it looks like Spencer won this thing for us, but I, and, and you came into a, a very close second, but I will say this. If everybody, hopefully everybody in here is on Twitter. By the way, you're on YouTube right now if you're in the chat. Hit the like button. But some people may have missed my comment about an hour ago. So I'm going to be with team audience, as I usually am. Side note, next week we have a very special guest that's never been on this show, and it's going to be amazing. And I believe the week after we're going to have another amazing guest that's going to blow this entire audience away. So hang on for that. But here's the thing. I guaranteed victory for team audience. So there's a lot of pressure. Everybody in the chat, I have guaranteed victory without even consulting you. So we need to bring it. We need to bring home a trophy for this WM Phoenix Open. I hope we can pull it off. Well, it's known that this tournament is popular or it gets a lot of credit for having, for being one of the best tournaments to go to in person, having a great audience, having people be really into it. So it would be on brand for team audience to come through on the audience tournament and win. And if, mm. T if you don't win, then it'd be a huge disappointment. And we're all going to be really upset with you. So no pressure, but a lot of pressure. Spence, mm -hmm. how are you doing? I'm doing well. I, I feel like I've said this about six times on this show over the past, you know, I don't know, year plus of doing it. I will once again try to end the drought of nobody being able to three-peat on this show by going with a three-peat at the Waste Management Open. This feels like the perfect tournament to do so. So I am hoping that I can end that drought that has been going on for over a year. Well, not going to happen. Yeah, no, so <laughs> Sorry. I'm not going to guarantee victory like you have. I feel like that's bad karma. <laughs> yeah, well, no, you're not repeating. That's for sure out. Uh, but nice try. David, how you doing tonight? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm excited for this week. You know, I like... 
I think the course rotations have their place. It's just a bit arduous that for some reason the PGA Tour sees to schedule all of them, like three of them, within four tournaments. You know, imagine spacing those out throughout the year so that we can actually have that experience of getting the course rotation every so often. I, I think it just gets a bit tiresome, and I'm so excited that we get to play on the same course for four rounds. I'm excited that we have strokes gain data because I'm a, I'm a statistical freak, and I just love getting into those numbers and reading what's really going to um, play well at this course. And, and I'm just glad that we've got the strength of field that we have. I mean, this is a this is the strength of field we expect to see at the US Open or the WGC match play. I mean, it's at that kind of level. Um, it, it does concern me a bit of what's going to happen with those regular season events. You know, if this is the what we're going to get used to, you know, are we going to see some of these names at Pebble Beach Open anymore? And I, I did an interview on New Zealand Radio here earlier this morning who so are discussing whether we could rotate some of those events and get some of those big guys to the John Deere Classics or the Pebble Beach Program or um, Farmers Insurance. I'd, I'd love to see Rory tearing, tearing it up around um, the the Tory Pines course every so often. So, you know, it's interesting. It's going to be, it's going to be a learning curve, especially from a DraftKings perspective of what happens at these elevated events where you do have 25 of the best players in the world, literally all here at the same time. Where does the money go? Where does the ownership go? I think it's going to be super interesting. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, to add to that, right. We were, the beginning of the year was, was tough. There was a lot of weak fields, uh, and then we had, like we said, like there was a lot of those tournaments where there was multiple courses. So it was just harder to handicap. And now it's like this perfect storm where it's like the, one of the most exciting tournaments with everyone, one course, giving us what we all wanted, which is a lot of excitement and a lot of fun for this week. And we're all going to make a lot of money. So let's have some fun. We're going to get into the Jeff. Before we do so, Spence is going to give us, as he always does, the best course breakdown for the week in the industry. And finally, Spence you got a break where it's one course you can break down for us. So tell us, Spence, what are you looking for? So I'm going to keep this strictly golf related in my answer. You know, you can find all those quirky descriptions of this venue and the mayhem that comes into play elsewhere this week. I'm going to try to keep this as serious as we can to try to actually figure out an advantage that we can have. So the first thing about this venue is that the greens tend to speed up throughout the event. We see that with the fast and firm surface of the overseeded texture. But we also get that on the fairways when we look at the elevation and rollout that will help provide a 12-yard increase in driving distance compared to an average tour stop. Uh, in my opinion, total driving will be a massive benefit for those in the field who can take advantage of their distance and accuracy. And then a heightened GIR rate should continue to add to that ball striking return that we often want out of our out. We often want out of our players. Uh, you know, there's something to be said probably about mental fortitude and the accepting of the upside-down nature of the week. I don't think that's necessarily a quantifiable metric. I don't know exactly how you would put that into a model. It's something to keep in mind. Like the course history is very high at this tournament over the years. That's not necessarily something that I am overly weighing in my model. Like I see it from a perspective that, you know, there's very few venues. Augusta national would be one that's more impactful of course history weights, but we've seen first time players play well here before. I don't know if I necessarily trust it. And even if we look at somebody like Tony Finau, you know, he has a couple of missed cuts and then all of a sudden he almost won the tournament a few years ago and probably should have won the tournament if it wasn't for Webb Simpson being the greatest golfer ever on that day. So, you know, it's one of those things where 
we need to be cognizant of like what's going on at these tournaments and not try to overweight things just because everybody says that course history is the be all end all here. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I'll very quickly just go through without like a extensive breakdown of what I attach just so I can get my numbers out there. I started with weighted T to green for 22 and a half percent. That's going to be the recalculated metrics for this venue over the inundated T to green averages that you'll get elsewhere. I did seven and a half percent at strokes gain total on TPC properties. Don't know if Scottsdale is particularly the TPC venue that you would think of historically. There are some differences here. There's a lot of unique quirks that come into play. Although there are parallels of how people have performed on this property and TPC tracks in general. So it was enough of a wait for me to use seven and a half percent. I did weighted fast greens for 10%. This is essentially a recalculated ball striking statistic. It was 80%. Uh, from T to green, the last 20% came in with putting. I just didn't want to over add flat stick to the rate of how I was running it. I did weighted par four for 12 and a half percent. You know, a lot of that's going to come into play with 3.1% more second shots occurring from 125 to 200 yards than average on tour. Uh, par five birdie or better and going for the green. That essentially was 27 and a half percent of my weight when I added those two things. I think aggression this week is super important. You know, all the par fives have over a 2% angle rate. That's about as high as you'll see for a PGA Tour course. And then you also have that risk reward par four 17th that amplifies that notion that you need an all attack mindset when you take this venue on. And then the last 20% is ball striking. And just, you know, to simplify that answer, 60 40 distance over accuracy. And then a 50 50 split of that total driving number with GIR percentage to get the ball striking there. But for me, it's essentially a ball striking course where find me all the random outlier statistics that I could throw into the mix with it. And it was a very generic weight that I used for course history. There was nothing like over the top that I did with it. There you have it. I appreciate that. Sometimes the simpler, the better, right? We don't need to overthink things. I think um, that's a really good approach, especially this week. All right, I'm going to pull the draft board up now. As I'm pulling that up, I want to give everyone just a reminder about how the draft works. So this is like a standard fantasy football snake draft. We go one through four, then back four through one. Spencer won last week. He picked the order, and we're running back the same order we had last week. So Spencer will pick first. I'm going to go second, David third. See in the audience, we'll get two picks. Then you come back around. You have to draft all six golfers within the salary cap. So you can't just take the six best guys. You have to uh, draft accordingly, knowing you have to be within uh, the draft king salary cap based on your uh, based on the prices of each golfer. Without further ado, Spencer, you are on the clock. I feel like this is an answer that Joel would give for the number one pick, and I wasn't necessarily planning to go this route here, but it's so difficult. Where, like, if we look at ownership. I feel like it's very similar through most of these names that we want to talk about from, you know, the nine mid 9,000 up to the $10,000 range. Now, obviously price points are going to be the massive difference there, but you're telling me that John Rahm is not going to be the 35% that we've gotten in weeks past. And he's going to be more in that 20% range. I'm going to take him with the first pick. You know, he's finished inside the top 16 during all seven starts at TPC Scottsdale throughout his career. He has a first place grade for ball striking. We know he's a pristine birdie maker that can take advantage of some of these quirks of the property this week. 
Um, there's a lot of different routes we can go. I don't necessarily think anybody should be off limits here, but I'm kind of intrigued of how I can round this lineup with Rom because I wasn't going to go this aggressive because since I did not love the $6,000 range, uh, but I kind of think there's enough of a reason that I can make this work at 20% ownership. Yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of hate Rom this week. Said no one ever. So, I mean, I can't complain about this. I mean, I think team audience, pro- I'm guessing, probably would have gone with Rom if he had lasted this long. Joel, is it, it's hard to build lineups when, to, to Spencer's point, it's hard to build lineups when you have Rom in your lineup. It just is because you have to, listen, if you do Rom and let's say a, a low 9K guy or a mid 9K guy, you're basically left, I'm just doing quick math in my head, like 7,200 maybe 7,150, like something mm-hmm. like that. So, I mean, you really have to like be willing to go down to that 6K range just to kick yourself back up to the mid to, to high 7K range. So with all that in mind, does Rom make it into your lineup? And frankly, that might be the reason why Rom isn't as popular as we had suspected, obviously, because just the lineup built, it just makes it tough. I have two schools of thought with Rom this week, and I'll break it down quickly. The first is, we know Rom has there is no ceiling. Rom can win any tournament that he plays in. So if you're looking for upside, right, that's there. So you certainly can take him for that reason, no question. The second part of that though is um there's so many guys that that are up there that can win this tournament that a lot of it's it's the the percent, yeah, Rom may be three percent, five percent better than the next guy behind him, but for the price of it, it's like it's a crap to take the ownership, you know, play that game where I think Rom makes a lot of sense, and obviously with Spencer's pick here, in a smaller tournament, his floor is so high. Like, Rom getting outside the top 15 is just not something I can foresee. That if you're playing something smaller, he's super safe. And if you can build a competitive lineup around him, I would certainly go there. But like I said, he could also win the tournament. So in any format, I'm never going to be – I'm never not going to be okay with playing Rom. Uh, real quick, I mean – is anybody going to beat this comment tonight? Because this has always historically been one of the funnier chats, like in, in the biz. I don't really like to listen. That's not scientific, but you guys are all very funny. Week to week, you bring it. This is a nominee, and we're only two minutes into the show or five minutes into the show for a comment of the night by Hingo A. That is, uh, so for those of you listening to the podcast, he says, surprise, Rom lasted that long. Uh, amazing <laughs> comment. One other comment I want to get to, Joel, before we get to your pick is uh, Chargy65. He said he entered the audience lineup in a double up last week and it cashed. So what he's really saying is, hey, Sia, thanks for the Ben Martin pick. And Chargy65, to you, I say, you're welcome. And Joel, to you, I say, what's your first pick? All right, I like it. So, I mean, just following up my, my statement about Rom there, basically what my, my strategy here for this draft especially is there's four to five guys at the top that I'd be, I'd be okay with taking as my top player. There's one 9K guy that I like above the rest, right? One low-gain 9K that it's not a value because it's 9K, but for me, it's a top-tier value. It's Tom Kim. Um, and I've been saying this since, since the beginning of the year. Tom Kim is my up-and-comer. He is like – I think Tom Kim is still being underrated. I think Tom Kim can win this tournament outright, beat all those guys, uh, and to get him at 9,100, it'll leave me some room to go up and get a stud later on. I mean, I I can't argue with Tom Kim. You know, David, I want to kick it to you real quick, but I do have to acknowledge, friend of the show, 
Jeff Feinberg is in the chat right now. He says, what a fun build tonight's lineup will be. I'll let the cat out of the bag for one of our guests that are coming up over the next few weeks. One of them will be uh, none other than Jeff Feinberg. Hopefully you caught him on this show when he was on like six months ago. But Jeff, kind enough to join us in the chat. I assume everybody that's watching this and listening to this follows Jeffrey Feinberg on really every social media platform, but particularly Twitter. He does a ton. He is just such a titan of this space. And Jeff, I really appreciate you being in the chat. And you're right. It is going to be fun tonight. And Tom Kim is fun. David, how do you feel about Tom Kim? No experience on this course. So that's kind of a thing. But it's Tom Kim. He's a cyborg. Does it matter? Yeah, look, the the thing is, is I'm, I'm going to be looking for ways to get a bit different. And I think that it seems very natural that these builds are going to start with like either a Ram or a McElroy. And then we go down from there. And I think being the lower end of the 9K, I wonder if Tom Kim gets a bit of ownership. I'm really looking forward to seeing Stephen um, Pilates article. He does some of the best ownership projections in the business for us over in our Win Daily um, premium chat. So I'll be really interested to see what the ownership numbers I think before I take a stance on Tom. Because we, we know, as, as Joel said, you know, the upside is absolutely there. He's an incredibly talented young golfer who we don't know what that ceiling even looks like yet. Um, we just know that he's an astronomical talent who the PGA Tour needs to protect at all costs um, from ever leaving. So, um, look, I, I'm, I'm excited about his prospects. I, I, I'm not disturbed by his length of the tee because his long iron play is so excellent that that's not really an issue for me. And it's, it's 7,200. It's not like an overly long course. I think people get trapped into this thinking that you need to be super long off the tee here and it's not the biggest correlation to success around this track for me um but yeah i, I do just get concerned about the ownership a little bit being low 9k combined with a ram kind of kind of the or mcelroy kind of makes a logical first build for a lot of people i think yeah, yeah. just to, just after that really quickly there's a lot of elevation here you're going to get a bunch of rollout on these shots i don't True. think i don't think distance is like the only prerequisite to look for Absolutely. And, and by the way, you know, what's cool about this show is, David, you're right about the builds because John Rahm and Tom Kim make a lot of sense. Well, good news. Joel can't do that. Right. So it's going to be no. interesting to see how this build goes. And it, it be, that, that's the value of the show, because you're automatically going. Well, other than just the insight, you're going to get unconventional builds. We're forced to build slight, at least slightly unconventionally, because all these other guys are off the board. Now, David, you have somebody to take off the board as well. By the way, everybody in the chat, hit the like button right now. If you can, David, your first pick is. It is the guy that I actually wanted to take with my first pick, uh, which is Xander Schofley. I'm very happy to take him in this spot. Look, as as Spence, and I'm glad, you know, Spence being the course guru that he is, of course, knew this, but I'm glad that he raised about the, the history of this course. Your prior form is a really key indicator of your ability to perform around this track. The only tracks that I have that are similar or higher are Augusta National, Wileye and Bayhill, and then it is TPC Scottsdale. Xander's form around this course is, is truly elite. He's got a bunch of great finishes around this course. Frankly, probably should have won this tournament by now. So his last two appearances were third and second, and he's had a 16th, 10th, and 17th since then. He also had a 13th at the PGA Championship at Southern Hills. I think Southern Hills is a very good comp course for this track um, this week as well. Um, 
I, I wonder as well with the the fears that we had at the tournament champions about a potential neck injury where it really worried the DFS community in the lead up to that lock, whether some of that still lingers. I'm not worried about that from the fact that he's he's come out and had a third and a 13th since then. His approach numbers were excellent at both those tournaments as well. So I'm not worried about the injury, but I'm hoping that the fact that there was that injury sort of three, four tournaments ago, that that maybe depresses his ownership a little bit lower than it should be. Yeah, I like the pick. I mean, it's first of all, it's really hard to criticize any of these picks at the top of the board. That's what we're going to get with such a, a crowded field. But I, I certainly like Xander in this tournament. You know, for me in that 10K range, I, I would put personally, I would put Xander over Finau. I I don't know if I have him over Scotty Scheffler, uh, but honestly, like from a, if you're if we're considering price too, I, I I might like him better than Rory. Not Rom necessarily, but I might like him better than Rory at, at a flat ten thousand versus the eight hundred more you have to play you have to pay for Rory McIlroy. So speaking of Ori's, we've got an Ori that we just drafted. Not Robert Ori, but Maury Kawa has been first and seconded and third by, of course. Patrick led the charge there. Patrick Scott, Win Daily writer. But we've got Stephen Pilardi in here. Um, we have Chargy65 noting Morikawa's ball strike. I, I love Morikawa. He's been playing really well. Uh, we, we know he kind of he lost it with the putter recently when he was contending. But the last three tournaments, sixth or better. I mean, this guy is in. He's a good course fit. The recent form is great. He played here last year. A decent result. Nothing. Nothing too great. But we have Morikawa in. But the question is, do we have a second? We had Sung Im was nominated along with uh, Patrick Cantley, but I don't know that either of them got seconded. I like both of them. So if somebody wants to second either Sung Jae or Patrick Cantley, I'm in, but I kind of want to let the audience do this one. So I'm going to give you a few seconds. And if I don't see it, I'm going to go ahead and second one of those two guys. Three, Just to clarify as well, for those who are watching on Twitter or Twitch or other platforms, if you jump onto YouTube, that's where we see the comments for where players are selecting as well. So it's the first player that the audience nominates, and then if someone else um, seconds that name, then that's who we pick, which uh, for the audience looks like it's Sung J.M. That's right. It is Sung J.M. And, and listen, I, I like Sung J.M. quite a bit. I think he's a guy that's going at least slightly under the radar. And I, I love him as a course fit here as well. Uh, Spencer, I want to know how he's measuring up in your model. I like Sungjae a lot. So I, I'm looking at 17.22%. That places him eighth overall from an ownership perspective. But like for me, there's, not to get super technical with it, but there's four players in the $9,000 range that I prefer over everybody else. Uh, Sungjae would be in that top three of that mix there. So I, I don't have any problem with anybody who wants to play him. Yeah, I, I like Sungjae. David, any comments on Sungjae before we get to your pick? I mean, if he's 17.22% owned, I mean, if he was 17.21%, I might play him. But 0.22, <laughs> yeah, that really, that, that 0.01, it really makes the big difference for me. Um, though, look, I, I, I love Sungjae. I think that he's, his ball striking is elite. Um, it, that's going to be the key to success on this track. The approach numbers from the Farmers Insurance Open were like kind of kind of off the charts. Um, that's always a key indicator of success, um, particularly at the Phoenix Open as well. So um, good history here too. I, I can't fault the play. Love it. So David, you've got Xander Shoffley on your team. Who's next? 
I do. And I, and I was probably, to be fair to the audience, you know, it's a great pick because I probably was going towards that Sungjae route. Um, I'm going to go down the board a little bit and get someone that I believe is quite undervalued in um, Keith Mitchell, who is mm. pricing in at 7400 arriving here off a fourth place finished at the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, which is a short, accurate kind of course, which isn't necessarily Keith Mitchell's biggest strength. Um, and he's coming off a great result there. Um, he's got a ninth at the Houston Open. I think the Memorial Park's a really good comp course for here. Tenth last time out at the Phoenix Open, fifth at Bay Hill before, um, and a sixth there as well. So he's got a tongue of correlated form. The approach play looks on point. He's driving it long and straight off the tee, and I'm just going to rely on him to make some putts. He might be the best guy off the tee this tournament. Like that, there's going to like he's he's awesome off the tee. The approach play has been good. To your point, we know he can get really hot with the putter. He's coming in with good form. Course history, he had, I believe, over the last three years, a tenth and a sixteenth. I'm not sure, David. Maybe you just mentioned that, but I, listen, he, you know how we do this show at the end, right? We're, we're going to put our outrights in the Wind Daily Discord chat, just just to remind everybody. But we do our first round leaders at the end of the show. Spoiler alert: Mitchell's on my list, so I've got five others to give you, but uh, we're really four others, and then just kind of a punt uh, first round leader. But uh, I, I think Keith Mitchell is a super sharp play, so absolutely love that. Joel, you got Tom Kim and. All right. So just by the way this draft's breaking down, I, I'm shifting my strategy a little bit. I think, you know, you can get – by staying in this 9K range, I think I can get a, an extra stud in my lineup, which I think will be useful. So that's what I want to do. And so I'm, I think a great value for the price here is Patrick Cantlay. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, I think he could have been in the 10K range. The fact that I get – save that 500 to allow me to come up here and maybe grab one more of these guys is going to be huge. And when we see – you know, Patrick Kentley can can compete in any tournament. Um, he can play with the big dogs. And for this, in this example, right, of course, I hope he would win. If he just gets me third, which seems like a thing he does a lot, right, that will, if I get the winner with one of the other picks, you know, that third place is going to be really valuable. So um, I really like kind of just getting this value here at 9,500. So, David, I'm going to kick it to you here on Patrick Cantley as we, because I know Spencer has two picks to give us in a second. And he's not squirming in his chair yet. So, Joel, I don't think you took – his player and Patrick he did. Cantla. He, he did. did. Oh, wow. But well, you're getting good at hiding it. See, he lives in Vegas, poker player. This is how Spencer <laughs> does it. Um, David, so, you know, between Patrick Cantley and Sung JM for the audience lineup, I was kind of leaning towards Patrick Cantley, although I liked both of them. So if I'm constructing my lineup, I'm st- I'll tell you right now, I'm starting a lot of lineups with Morikawa and Patrick Cantley. So my question for mm-hmm. you is, I know you like Sung Jay, but who do you like better? Do you like Sung Jay better than Patrick Cantley or the other way around? I probably like Sungjae just a smidge more. Um, I, that's not me saying that Patrick Cantlay is a bad player. I think he's an excellent play um, for obvious reasons, particularly his long iron appro- approach play. Um, over 200 yards, he's extremely elite. Um, so going for some of those par fives, I think is going to be beneficial for him. Um, he, he's in great form, and I mean... He, his last finish was 26 at the American Express, but he lost a ton of strokes putting. And other than that, they've all been top 20s um, since the, the playoffs last year. So um, he's he's in, in decent nick. He's got a second here in his own appearance. I mean, like you can't really fault it. Like there's no, there's nothing to fault. Yeah, and you heard it here first, uh, Spencer, before we get to your picks. I don't know if you heard that, but David just said he thinks Patrick Cantlay's a bad player. So we'll just leave that right there. Spencer, you have back-to-back picks. Who do you got? So that was a frustrating pick that Joel just took there. So when I ran this tournament from an upside perspective, which, I mean, as shocking as this might sound, 
Cantley was number one in my model. So, I mean, that means something to me. And, and I think we might, like the ownership I see on him is, in my opinion, higher than what it's going to actually be. I alluded to a second ago that there were four players in the $9,000 range. And this is opening up a can of worms here a little bit to try to figure can out. Of worms. Hold on, hold on. There's a bingo card, by the way, that we've created that we haven't shown you. And opening up a can of worms is one of the bingo squares for you. So, okay, we got one of them. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, so if I was to power rank these players in this range, number one would be Cantlay. Number two is going to be the player that I'm going to take. Three would be Sungjae, and then four would be, I'll just say, four would be Hideki. I am going to go with Justin Thomas at 9,800. The course history has been fantastic here. I mean, if we look at just the last five years, there's five top 17 finishes, two of those inside the top three with it. The upside looks really good in my model. He has kind of the same similar trajectory that we talked about when when speaking of Patrick Cantley here. Maybe he doesn't get up quite as high, but I have two outright bets that I punched when the board first opened. It was Cantley and Thomas. So I'm going to go with Thomas, which kind of does make this a very awkward board for me right now. I, I'll let you guys talk about that play as I try to figure out what I want to do next. Yeah, as Zach Jeffers says, uh, he's tilting, referring to Spencer. One more snipe should do it. So hopefully we can get that bingo card uh, filled out. Any thoughts on Justin Thomas? Listen, I get the Justin Thomas upside, but I just, I I personally just hate the form. But, you know, I'm not even looking at his ownership. Spencer, you might have mentioned it, but I assume the ownership, yeah, it is. It's it's pretty low. So from a game theory standpoint, Justin Thomas is obviously a great play. Um, Joel, what's your expectation from JT? Is it going to be like vintage JT? Because we haven't seen that in a while. Listen, I have similar concerns about his recent form, but I, that doesn't mean I won't play him. I, we all know what his upside is. Um, and I think for a lot of reasons, this guy's like, he's still under 10K. He can go out and win the tournament. He's an elite mm-hmm. talent. There's a lot of reasons that you can get behind JT, and especially looking at what the ownership number comes in at. If it ends up being a low ownership number, I'll end up probably end up getting up even more heavy on JT for sure. Yeah, and he's got elite history here. I mean, elite, elite history here. So certainly, if you're going to get your game ga- your game back or your groove back uh, for Justin Thomas, this is probably uh, one of the places it's going to be. Spencer, you ready to fire for your third pick? Yeah, so if, if I'm going for a three-peat here, there's nobody else I would want to be on this team than oh, yeah. Jason Day. <laughs> I'm just going to keep it real simple with that. There's really not an explanation that's needed. No, I mean, David, your thoughts on Jason Day? I mean, the form looks pretty good. I mean, it seems like Jason Day would be a good pick and a good value at 7,900. Yeah, I have him as one of the better values on the board in terms of his his cost to projected um, fantasy points. So, yeah, I mean, the the guy's on a stunning run, and, and I've been saying for a while, and I'll say it again, that I believe Jason Day is back. Uh, if we look at his last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven tournaments, he's finished 21st or better in six of them and missed one cut at the RSM Classic. All the rest, he's 21st or better. I mean, he's he's operating at a, a very, very high level. Um, his iron play looks like it's back. He's played well here before. He's won at Bay Hill. Um, yeah, there's a lot going for him. And yeah, if he was 8,400, 8,500, I, I wouldn't blink an eye. Marvel Raider chimes in with his day is due. I mean, 
Marvel, we'll need to work on it, but I appreciate you commenting <laughs> in the first place. Marvel, if you haven't hit the like button, please go ahead and do that. Joel, you've got Tom Kim, Patrick Cantlay. It seems like a pretty good start to me. Who's next? So I'm going to ruin it here with this pick. I'm going to go with my value. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to take a shot here. I'm going with a guy that's been playing really well for his price. He's got a pretty good course history. Um, the boss rankings there, and it's JT Poston. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, I just to get a guy here in, in the under seventy five hundred range, uh, which you're going to need. You're going to need to hit on somebody in the low tier. Um, a guy that's coming off a, a top ten. His last two finishes before that were in the low twenties. He's playing well. This is a much. The one thing I caveat myself on this is this is a much stronger field that he's been playing, and he he gets these top positionings in weaker fields. Now he's got to play with the big dog, so. That does scare me a little bit, but at 7,300, I think it's a risk one to take. Yeah, you know what's interesting about him? The, the low 20s uh, finishes, it was 21st three tournaments in a row. But, but to, to your point about the weaker fields, you know, the cool thing is he, never, he didn't regress from that. He had the 21, 21, 21, and then he went to six. So the trajectory, you know, you know, regardless of the field, is going up for him. And then you look at the course history here, 23rd, 11th, 37th, 26th. I mean – JT Poston in a field like this is a complete afterthought, particularly last year and the year before and the year before that. And yet he's top 40, if not top 15-ing this uh, tournament uh, on, a, on a pretty solid basis. So I think that's a tremendous uh, value personally. David, you've got Xander. You've got Keith Mitchell, who I love. I love how your lineup's shaping up. Feel free to comment on JT Poston, but who's your next pick? I really like the JT Poston play. I think that's it's very sharp this week. Um, I, I think... He's the, the kind of guy who can string some results together. And when he gets on kind of a hot run, um, he tends to continue it. Um, I, with my next pick, I, I'm going to I'm gonna just name it with a question. Why is no one talking about Victor Hovland this week? That's so interesting. You're so right. Nobody. In fact, uh, I know some people that are like actively fading him in the matchup market. So I, I don't I don't really have an answer for you, to be honest. Uh, I mean, the, the reason being, I, I believe, is that he's played here twice and he's missed the cut twice. So that that's the only thing that makes any sense. But we look at his recent form, 13th, 18th, win at the Hero World Challenge, 23rd of the DP World Tour Championship, their, their end of season um, championship, 10th, 21st, 5th. I mean, we're, we're not looking at Victor Hovland in terrible form. Mm-hmm. We're looking at Victor Hovland in fairly reasonable form He's a great approach player. He's great He's off the tee. He's long. He's straight. We're always going to be relying on the putter. The greens here are 7,100 square feet. So with his approach play, is he going to be missing the greens much? I hope not. Um, I I, I have him as one of the lowest owners in, in the 9,000s. I have him at 11% ownership. So I don't know what Spence has him as, but I'll take 11% victor at 9,300 all day. I have him at 8%. Yeah, I have him at I have him at eleven as well. And to your point, he's basically tied for the lowest with the numbers I'm looking at with Max Homa, Justin Thomas, and uh, Hideki, and they're all within like one percent of each other. So, I mean, it seems like a great time to take. Listen, if finally Hovland isn't going to be everybody's darling, which he is like nine out of ten times, that's pretty much the time you want to play Hovland, especially in tournaments. So, uh, no issues with that pick whatsoever. So we are awaiting we have a lot of nominations actually but we don't have any seconds as far as i can tell we have william neal byron patrick uh byron again brian um m Patton. I, I don't think i've seen that name uh, at least not in a while who has a nomination but 
we have eight or nine guys that were nominated, but we don't have any seconds. Now we have two guys to nominate. So if either, if two of these guys gets a second, we're going to be in pretty good shape. I might give somebody a second here. And uh, no, I'm going to wait actually. Um, Sahith enters the chat. Anybody have a second for any of these guys? If not, I'll go ahead and, and choose. I'm, you know what? I'm going to go with a newcomer. It looks like M. Padden might be somewhat new. Corey Connors was really just kind of jumping out. By the way, you can still nominate because we have two guys. Okay, so Alex, it's going to be Alex Norn and Corey Connors. I like both of them. I, I, I truly do. You know, Corey Connors, I had to take a deeper look into because he kind of jumped in my model and I was like, Corey Connors, you guys know me historically. I'm not a Corey Connors guy. But I, I, I can't deny that, listen, ball striking course, we'll take Colin Morikawa, Sung J.M. and Corey Connors to start our lineup. The, the short game shouldn't give him too much trouble. The putter shouldn't give him too much trouble. I mean, we know Corey Connors is going to have trouble with the putter where he's not, but these greens you can be successful at if, if you're a bad putter. And Alex Noren seems like a really crafty play on this course too. Um, Spencer, let me kick it to you. Either of these guys flashed to you, and then, David, I was going to ask you about um, Alex Noren uh, and Corey Connors specifically as well. I, I guess I'll, I'll answer this a little bit differently than you asked the question. So both of them flashed in my model and both are technically in my player pool of what I'm trying to build. The only problem I would have with directly pairing them with this exact lineup. And, and if we're talking about like a single entry contest, I think it doesn't matter as much, but I don't know if I necessarily want two guys that are 10% plus owned in the $7,000 mm-hmm. range mixed with a very popular, uh, Morikawa and a pretty popular Sung JM. Like it's, there's a lot of ownership with that exact way that that roster has been built. But in the same breath of that, like Connors and Norin are two golfers that I am fine gaining exposure to. So uh, I don't have a problem with it. I guess I would just be aware of that when making your last two picks, or if you are going to enter this into a really big contest, be aware that you probably will have to deviate somewhere. That's a totally a fair point. And somebody had a question. Does Norn have a history here? Yeah, he has a pretty good history. Sixth last year. And then he, he had a two-year break. And the two times he played before that, he was, he was inside the top 40, I believe. And Corey Connors has a decent history. It's not great. It's not an elite history, but he has a decent history here as well. Um, David, do you like either of these two guys? And then, Joel, I wanted to ask you either of these two guys in your pool. And then, we're, David, we're going to go to your pick. Uh, yes, I do. The audience stole my pick with Alex Noren. So nice. much shade thrown the direction of everyone in the audience. And thank you all for joining, uh, the draft tonight. But, um, yeah, I expect a written apology for staying on my pick. And Joel, uh, Corey Connors specifically, he make it into your pool or is it just too dull of a pick for you to be interested? He is a dull pick, but see, as you've stated many times on our show, the dull picks are good because yeah. that's going get lower ownership. People don't want to play him. That doesn't mean he's not good. It just means people don't like him because he's got a boring name. So I'm in. I mean, Brendan Todd last week, Ben Martin last week. Who wanted to play those guys? Well, if you wanted to win money, you played them. Uh, so it's it's a fair point. The, the sexy names just don't get the pub. And typically they're you know somewhere in the top 20 or top 40 come uh, Sunday afternoon. David, you've got Xander, Keith Mitchell, and Hovland. A really interesting start. I love it personally. Who's next? Um, so next, I'm going to go and grab some um, more value. And in lieu of Alex Noren, I, I was tossing up between these two names and and would have liked to have gotten them both into my lineups in some way. So I'll have to pivot away from Noren later. But uh, for now, I will take Chris Kirk. Speaking of boring... 
Yeah, I got to be honest. Maybe it's because he's boring. He wasn't on my radar. Spencer, how is Chris Kirk looking for you? Uh, he's 33rd overall. I mean, he's a positive value with the way that I ran it. And I've seen some sharp movement with him in various markets. I, I think that's always an interesting thing to point out and look at. I don't have a problem with him. All right. Well, sounds good to me. So, Go I ahead. mean, see, like, let's look at our last two starts for Chris Kirk. Mm -hmm. Third and third, his last two starts. Where have we seen this before? When last year he went on a run of 14th at this event, the Phoenix Open, followed up by a 7th at the Honda Classic and then a 5th at Bay Hill, which is correlated to this course. He's got a 5th at, at um, Southern Hills at the PGA Championship. You know, So in that major field with that quality of caliber of player, um, still finishing 5th in that sort of tournament is obviously um, a great positive for him. Um, he's got 11th at the Phoenix Open and 12th um, at Bay Hill previously as well. So, I mean, he's coming in in super hot form. He's the kind of player who does string these top 10 results together. He's mm -hmm. done it before. Um, and again, for some reason, nobody's really talking about him. Yeah, you're so right. If anything, people want to play like Gary Woodland right below him. And I, I personally don't want Who's to play in dreadful form. Right, right, right. Because people, listen, the thing about Gary Woodland, people desperately want him to be good again. And for the record, he wasn't that good for that long, you know, but they just, they saw what his potential was and they're just kind of holding on to that. And we do that with golfers. And uh, Chris Kirk is, is a, certainly a smart pivot off of Woodland. Although looking at Woodland's ownership, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe I just heard Woodland's name once or twice, but it looks like he's super low owned. JJ Spawn is in that sort of similar ownership as Chris Kirk, uh, JT Poston, uh, at least as far as I'm seeing. So Brendan Steele, who I think is interesting. Oh, enough table talk for me. Joel, you've got Tom Kim, Patrick Cantley, JT Post, and who's next? So there is one guy who's getting gravely overlooked right now, right? And it's because he's a specialist, right? And that is TPC Lee. Uh, mm -hmm. TPC Lee is a great value here. Uh, getting another guy 7,500. But the main reason is... He's in really good form. I mean, we've seen him. His ball striking has been really good. And when you get TPC in good form, you know he can go low. Right? He has those days where he can be like a first-round leader type. Um, you know, outside of the American Express where he missed the cut, at the Sony Open, he gained almost four strokes on approach. Uh, at the Century, he got seventh. He, I mean, then now we're going back to 2022, so I don't want to dip any further back than that. But, you know, I can, I can erase the American Express and, and look up the other two tournaments and see a guy who's, who's playing well. The only weakness, really, that I'm seeing is off the tee. If he gets some good tee shots, get some good drives this week, I think he can he can have a really good showing. Yeah, and a second place here in 2021, 38th in 2022. So we certainly flashed it here among other uh, TPC courses. Uh, David, any thoughts on Cage Lee before we move to back-to-back -to -back, uh, picks from Spencer? Um, not a player that I've had a massive look, look at, just because I, I, I do think that the TPC – narrative around him sometimes gets played up a bit I how mean, dare you it's perhaps the greatest nickname in all of fantasy sport i i do love it um he's got a second here that's obviously a great positive that that we know that he's played well here before um and yeah i i haven't seen the name at all across other tipsters so great way to get different i think perhaps some people um avoiding him a little bit after missing the card at the farmers um although i don't know that that tory pines is the best course for him so it could be a really savvy pay from joel there all right, Spencer, you've got back-to-back -back picks. It doesn't look like you're squirming again. So KH Lee and Chris Kirk probably weren't your next picks. Who are your next picks? I, I like both of them. They're on my short list of options, and I essentially had six players that were on my short list of options here. So 
Um, I'll name the four that are left since those two were just taken. Um, and it depends on how I want to play. It's at the bottom. And, you know, I might contradict myself a little bit here when it comes to ownership because I'm kind of leaning towards taking the two more popular players here. But Brian Harmon, 7,400. Russell Henley, 7,400. Brendan Steele, 7,200. I thought Sia might have gotten him stolen for me. I think that's probably route I'm going to go. And then I like Davis Thompson at 7,100. Like, if you're trying to get unique with a build, I think the Thompson-Henley route is where you can get sub-5% ownership on both of them. My model likes the upside. I'm going to play both. They will be in my player pool. I am going to go the opposite route here and take the two more popular players in this lineup. Kind of got a little bit, I guess, more popularity than I wanted. But uh, Brendan Steele, 7,200, and Brian Harmon, 7,400 will be my two picks. I'll tell you, uh, Steele was definitely in consideration for me in terms of, and I haven't filled out all my lineups. He's definitely probably going to make it into a lineup or two. Um, Joel, any thoughts on either? Like, I, I'm de- I'm not going to be on Harmon personally, but Steele might make it. What say you? Uh, of the two, I prefer Harmon, actually. Okay. Um, mainly the, the ownership. I think Harmon does have a good amount of upside if he has a, a good week. Um, and it does – look like he's going to be a, a bit lower owned. So a good way to get different with a guy that can get you in that top 15 or 20. And Spencer, if you can elaborate before we get back to Joel's pick on Brian Harmon specifically, because I think in modeling, I think people see steel and in history, like it's, it's decent. And I'm not even, to be honest with you, I'm not even looking at Harmon's history and I, and I don't know it, but uh, well, it's pretty good actually. Um, and the recent form is pretty good. What's the thought on Brian Harmon though? Well, the recent form, if like if we exclude the miscut that he had at the Amex, and I want to make that clear that so one of the things I run in my model is I look at a par or better streak, and it's like a minimum of two rounds. Anybody who's made par or better in that round gets one, and we keep going until they haven't made par or better. And part of that argument could be that they're playing easier courses. Like once you throw them at a venue, that's going to knock them off. Like it's an unfair statistic to look at. Brian Harmon, thirty-four consecutive rounds of being par or better that is 12 better than anybody else in this tournament. Uh, for reference sake, Xander would be at 22 and Cantley would be at 20 consecutive rounds. Very interesting. Wow. If, if, if you needed another reason to maybe deep dive into Spencer's model, which he posts on his Twitter page, um, that, that was a very interesting statistic. Joel, it's on you. You got posting, you got KH Lee, you got two more picks to go. Who's next? All right, I'm gonna go ahead here and take. Uh, should I take? I'm gonna take a decky. Um, listen, the, there's there's two guys I was debating, and the real the real reason for the pick is because the guy who I wanted to take last, I can only afford him by taking a decky versus the other guy. So that was the real reason. But to dive into decky's numbers, there's nothing not to like, right? At 9400, he's a really good ball striker. Um, he's in good form, right? In his last outing, he got a top 10 at the Farmers. He did gain six strokes putting, but I think what I'm taking away from that is if Hideki's putting well, Hideki is really dangerous. So if you can get Hideki with a hot putter right now, he can go out and win any tournament. So at 9,400, I think there's a ton of upside. Have you ever seen lineups that look more that the way that they should look if you listen to this show every single week? Like, is it a shock that Joel ended up on Hideki Matsuyama and Tom Kim? Is it a shock that I'm on Jason Day? It's like, I feel like every single week, Joel and I just go back and forth. If like, if Day's in the tournament, I'm taking him. If Kim and Hideki are in the tournament, Joel's taking. And 
I like Hideki this week. Like he's the fourth name in that $9,000 section that I think is very playable. Yeah, fair enough. And David, if this person is in the tournament, you're taking him. And who is that person? Um, It will be the the man who I think may just come out and surprise everyone and win the tournament, which is Shane Lowry. Mm. I, I think mean, that he, he's a, he, he is, he is like a, like, I don't know what, to, like conundrum. Like, like, I don't think people know what to do with him, but I see the 8,200 price tag, David. And I'm like, well, that's palatable. I like that. Go on. Sorry to interrupt you. No, you're fine. Um, I think a lot of people are going to look at the fact that he missed his last cut at the Dubai Desert Classic and lost some strokes on approach and around the green um, and basically just rule him out on the fact that he's coming in off a missed cut over in Dubai. And what, what people should know is, I mean, that's a, that's a tournament that I actually worked at as as a teenager growing up um, and, and know quite well. And so I watch it every year. And the weather this year in Dubai was just horrific. I mean, they had to close the course for an entire day due to floods. There was a huge draw advantage. Like, So you, you can kind of just strike a line through it and just say, do you know what, that's a write-off. In the meantime, he's also split from his caddy and he's got a new caddy as well. And we know with so many players that something like that can suddenly just really spark some immense change in form from them in, a, in an instant. Um, despite that, I mean, I wouldn't say that he's been playing badly. I think he's coming in off one of his best seasons ever. Um, we're at a string of um, top fives, including a third at the Masters um, when we were on him last year. Um, and his form here is really good. He's got a, a six, a 16th. Um, he's got 11th at Houston Open as well and a, a 23rd at the PJ Championship at Southern Hills. So I, I love his long lines um, driving off the tee as well is is really important around here. And, you know, that narrative about getting a new caddy um, can often just spark a little something. I think he's he's way too long in the markets at the moment as well. I think he's priced about 70 to 1 in lots of markets, which is just insanity for someone who I think should be priced um, 50 to 1 or, or less. All right. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I think Shane Lowry is an incredible value with with some pretty tremendous upside. So the audience is already, I think we've already nominated our two guys. Well, I know Sam Burns is one of them, who I think a lot of people just don't like. uh, But I also think he has plenty of spike potential. I mean, obviously, the history here isn't very good. And the recent form, you know, could be better for Sam Burns, but he's 8,600. And we know, I mean, I think he has some win equity, at least among the 8K range. I think he's in the conversation to potentially take down a tournament. So uh, I don't mind that pick, especially to get a little bit different because, you know, his ownership's not going to be super high and, and maybe it should be. It looks like the second guy is Garrick Higo. Higo is going to be our last guy in. And Spencer, let me kick it to you. Uh, any thoughts on either of these guys, frankly, before we get uh, back to David's pick? I think Burns, he wasn't, well, I mean, I'll say this. Neither one were in my player pool. I think Burns is an intriguing GPP play. Yeah. Kind of for all the reasons that you talked about, see, it's like, it's boom or bust. I don't really know what to expect, but at sub 10% ownership, I'm willing to take that chance there. And then as far as Garrick Higo goes, like to me, a lot of the intrigue around him is stemming from the last three results that we've seen and, and maybe the tournament that he's played here last year. So like, if that's what you're holding your hat to on this, I'm generally okay with that concept, but I just think that there's better values in that low $7,000 range that maybe provide slightly more upside than Higo would. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to say like, 
you know, Davis Thompson's I- intriguing there, and I know I'm calling out names, but we only have three picks left. Uh, Joel Dahman is interesting. Wyndham Clark, who was nominated, I think is really interesting. I, I think I might have gone Wyndham Clark over Garrett Higo, but I, I don't mind the pick. pick. I mean, we, we're still kind of early on Higo in the sense that it's not like everybody's like, oh, man, this guy's like awesome all of a sudden. So maybe he is awesome, and, and we're just getting him uh, early. So I think those last two picks make our lineup um, certainly more unique than it was. With I, our I would first agree four. with that. Yeah. So I, I think that those two were actually really smart plays from a tournament standpoint. Okay, David, you've made a bunch of smart plays, but how do you cap it off? Well, we'll, we'll see if they're smart plays uh, the, by the end of the week, at least. Um, I like to think they're smart. We'll find out. Um, I, I'm, I'm in two minds here because this, look, I, I mean, I've got the salary cap here where this is probably where I would have taken Alex Noren before the audience just rudely snatched him from beneath my feet and completely ruined my lineup, um, as I think Spence would um, say, quote unquote. Um, so it leaves me in an interesting spot where I think Tom Hoagie's interesting in the fact that he's been priced so much higher at every single tournament up until this point, and then suddenly he's coming in at 7,500 and nobody's talking about him. And, and yes, it's a completely different type of field, but his approach play is is excellent, and his form here is like not dreadful by any means. I mean, he's finished 14th here last appearance. So mm-hmm. um, the, the option I'm going to go with, though, is Lucas Herbert. At 7,200, I think is excellent value. I'm going to leave a bit of money on the table because I think, again, that just makes me a little bit different. But Herbert, Herbert can go one of two ways. He's he's one of the best putters in the world. That that has been historically one of the best indicators of success around this track, like it or not. Um, we know putting's volatile, but Herbert has time and time again proven that he can consistently putt extremely well he was in a a very good position at at stages through that southern hills and pga championship we were on him that week at at very very long odds i mean he ended up finished 13th for us um for a top 20 finish and he's got a seventh at bay hill as well so um look with with herbert it is always going to come down to the approach play it's kind of the opposite metric to um a lot of other profiles that we look at where we're looking at people who can uh, who are hitting the ball well with their irons, and then we're looking for a spike round with the putter. With Herbert, we're kind of looking the other way of like he's going to consistently putt well, and we're looking for a spike round with the iron play. But he arrives here um, off um, some very, very good finishes. He had the third last time out in Saudi International in what was not a weak field, and a third at the Dubai Desert Classic. Yeah, I think it's a super crafty play. I like that. And I like uh, leaving some money on the table there as well. Joel, you've got one pick to go after Hideki. Who's it going to be? So what I was going to say before, is who I was going to take with my Hideki pick was Homa. Homa's just playing unreal right now. He's high. Yeah. But with Homa, I wasn't going to be able to afford Taylor Moore. And I really wanted to take Taylor Moore. So I went with Hideki. I'm going to take Taylor Moore with my last pick. Taylor Moore in his last two outings in 2023 has a 15th and an 11th. He's gaining two strokes on his approach on both of them. He's gaining with the with the driver, and he's not gaining with the putter. So if he comes out here and makes a few putts um, and gets us a top 15 at 7K, that's some great value that I can now pair with the three, what I'm calling studs in my lineup, which I think can get my, my complete team um, in a winning lineup. I love it. Yeah, I like Taylor Moore there. That's an interesting play who's not going to carry – uh, much by way of ownership, I'm seeing 2%. So, yeah, trying to trying to hope that trajectory continues to go up there. Spencer, who's your final pick? Uh, very quickly, Taylor Moore kind of reminds me of, like, at lesser ownership of what you're getting with Hayden Buckley a little bit. 
So if like Hayden Buckley's 10 to 12%, if Taylor Moore can be, you know, 3%, that might be a nice little pivot option. I, I actually know that those two are faced off together in a head to head matchup. And I want to say Moore has moved out into being a favorite there. So uh, just something to keep in mind with that. Um, for my last pick, I'm actually going to take the golfer that is the highest ranked player that I have in the $6,000 section. And that is 41st overall. We're not really talking about the greatest group of guys here. I consider Jonathan Vegas. Um, I think I'd rather have a little bit less ownership in the route that I'm going to take. So I'm going to take Martin Laird at 6,700. I really like Laird on these desert courses. Anytime you give him these fast surfaces, he seems to find success. We've seen it in Vegas before. He's been good at this tournament with three top 26s over the last five years. Uh, the weighted tee to green metrics for me climb inside the top 25. As I said, with the fast greens, he's 18th in this field. You're going to have some negative qualities. Like I don't know if he can score on the par fives well enough to actually move up the board the way that I would want him to for the downside that he possesses. But I like when I'm trying to find a name in this range, like maybe Emiliano Grillo. I mean, Grillo is not necessarily safe himself, but like there's only so many options that I can actually pinpoint here that I felt comfortable doing so. And I decided to go with Layard's overall rank and just trust the model model on a player that was a couple percent less than everybody else I was looking at. Yeah. And if memory serves, Laird was a recent pick from David, correct? I believe. So. Uh, no, I had the other Scotsman, uh, Russell Knox. Oh, I think, okay. I think it might've been a recent pick from me when he missed the cut. Oh, uh, okay. Fair enough. It, it, it probably it was somebody. It was definitely, yeah. Okay. It was you. Yeah. I, I don't mind that pick. I mean, I, I like the history here as well. I, to, to your point though, in that range, I mean, Vegas and Grillo were my other considerations in the 6K range as a whole, not just in that 6,700 range. So um, super interesting. I, I think that that's, that does it for the draft part, right, Joel? That's a wrap for the draft. Don't forget, give us a follow, hit the like button. We will post these rosters on Twitter. Vote for whose team you think is going to win. We track it. We'll come back next week. We'll let you know who the winner is. Uh, but let us know who you like. Let us know which roster you're leaning toward going into the weekend. But we're not done yet as we take the draft board down. Before we wrap up for this evening, we will give you our first round leaders. We also give outright plays for the week. Go ahead and sign up for Win Daily. $5.99 a week. You're not going to beat that deal. You get our outright plays. You get us in the Discord chat as we get more information on weather as the tournament comes. We are still providing more information to everyone throughout the week. Before we let you go, though, we will go with the first-round leader plays. And, David, we'll start with you. Who are you looking at in the first-round leader market? Yeah, and, and I'll start by touching on the weather, that, that it does look like there's going to be quite a bit of wind in the forecast for the next couple of days. And it is very cold in the mornings there in Phoenix at the moment, sort of single-digit Celsius, which is about 40 Fahrenheit um, over there in um, TPC Scottsdale. So that's worth bearing in mind with your, your calculations in the week. And um, I use a number of sort of like premium um, – apps and different um, radar sites basically to provide the most accurate weather picture they can with. So that, again, they will all be in the wind daily discord and our premium content for $5.99 a week. Um, well, well worth the price of a Starbucks. I mean, really have one less coffee, get and make yourself more money and then get 20 coffees. Obviously. <laughs> That's just um, math, folks. It's just math. That's how it works. Um, so I'm going all AM. Um, for for my guys because it does look at the moment as we speak that the wind is going to be uh, in the afternoon. So I have 
Xander Shoffley, 25 to 1. I had Shane Lowry at 60 to 1. Taylor Montgomery at 60 to 1. Keith Mitchell at 66 to 1. Tommy Fleetwood at 66 to 1. And not playing him in DFS because I think he's the, the cat's out of the bag, but Johnny Vegas at 101 to be your first round leader. We have uh, we have a decent amount of overlap there, David. So that's good news. Because we're smart. Uh-oh, uh-oh. All right, Spence, who about you? Who are you looking at in the first round leader market? I'm like the kid in school that forgot to do his homework and now it's time to do the presentation here and <laughs> I have nothing to read off. I'll tell everybody this. Uh, drop into Discord. I will give those plays as soon as I have them. Um, I'll flip the script just so I have something to provide here. I have outright bets, as I think I alluded to at the beginning, on Justin Thomas and Patrick Cantlay. But uh, hop in the Discord. I will give you the first-round leader plays in there. Okay. There Love it. it. For me, I have four plays. So four guys I'm looking at in the first-round leader market this week. One of them you were on as well, David. That's Shane Lowry. Uh, I just think the number, I think you were right. The number is too big on him, right? Like mm. this is a guy who turned the close last season was in the nine K range for every tournament. And now they're playing him like he's uh, barely in the eight K range. So then there's too big of an adjustment for a guy who's, who's a really good player. So I'm going to start with him. Um, second, I just think the number is too good for Tom Kim at 45 to one. Uh, I obviously really like him this week. Um, I would have had him closer to 30 or 35 to one. So to get those extra points, you know, it feels like a really good number on him. Um, all right, where's my list? Let's go back. The bigger number, and of course, another guy I drafted, Cagely, right? He's a first-round leader type. You know he can go off on a big day. To get him at 80 to 1 is a huge number. It's not always you can get these 80 number 80 to 1 type. And Cagely is probably someone who I like even more from a day one day or showdown perspective than I would for the whole tournament. Um, and the last play is Max Homa. I just, I just think Max Homa is playing really good golf right now. Um, and he's someone that can carry some of that momentum into, into the waste management as well. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of overlap. This is good because I have, I have six picks and three of them, at least you guys have said, so I'm going to give a, a couple shorter guys because I'm trying to figure out who the breaking news is going to be. Cause it's between two guys. Okay. Okay, so Xander Shoffley at 28 to 1. That's going to be my, my first first round leader. Colin Morikawa at 28 to 1. I don't usually like to go super short, but you know, this is such a talented field. I want to fit in a couple of these guys here that I think can really pop. Um, Sung JM at 40 to 1. Then we're going to go, by the way, these are all AM guys. Then we're going to go the long bomb is Jonathan Vegas. And I got the number at 125 to 1. I believe that was at Caesars, just for the record. I think DraftKings might be at 100, Caesars at 125. So there's two guys I was considering for the breaking news, the definite first round leader. And both of you have said him or, or each of you have said one of them. So I'm trying to debate. I'm trying to buy time and debate. Okay, well, so- well, you think about that. What I'll, what I'll just remind people is that I, I access um, offshore markets when I'm providing my price. So often they come with um, sort of five places each way and things like that as well. Mm-hmm. So if you can get 120, 125, that that's great, but um, often you're you're getting some extra places um, with some of those other markets. So it just depends which which markets you're playing on. Obviously, one twenty five is a, a great number, and it looks like Patrick Scott in the chat is also on him. So best of luck. Love it. Love. It. I mean, obviously, if you can get the places, that that's even better because these are hard to hit unless you have the guy. So Keith Mitchell was going to be the breaking news at sixty five to one, but I'm going to go a little shorter than Keith Mitchell. So just to recap, it's Xander, it's Colin, Sungjae. 
Keith Mitchell, Jonathan Vegas as the long bomb. But your breaking news, your definite first round leader this week in this elevated designated event, it's none other. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Max Home at 40 to 1, obviously. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's Max Homa. So Max Homa, it's your breaking news. It's a Tuesday night, and we're telling you 48 hours ahead of time who your first-round leader is going to be. There you have it, Max Homa at 40 to 1. Pepper in some, some money on those other guys, though, particularly Keith Mitchell. I think Keith Mitchell uh, has a shot. As, as far as long shots go, he's probably my favorite one, somebody above 50 to 1, for example. Love it. There you have it. That's a wrap for us for tonight. For those of you who maybe are new to the waste management tournament, it's awesome. Watch it. Have some fun with it. It's different. It's not like every other tournament. The crowd is is rowdy. You feel the presence. There's a lot – the way the course is designed, there's a lot of, for lack of a better word, pressure on the end. So it makes for a uh, dramatic finish. Uh, we're going to have some fun with it this week, and we're going to make some money. Thanks again for tuning in tonight. See, did I forget anything? Sports. <laughs>